Hello and welcome to the latest episode of It Stinks, the Critic Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Rubinow, and I am coming to you from the new podcast studios because I have actually uh, moved since the um, uh, last time uh, we spoke, or at least since the last episode I recorded. So um, yeah, hopefully things are going to go just as well here. Um, and, uh, I would like to introduce my new guest for this episode. We're going to be looking at season one, episode 11, a day at the races and a night at the opera. So would you please help me welcome my guest for this episode, uh, writer and audience development specialist, Sam Ciro. Uh, hello, Sam. Welcome. How's it going, man? Uh, it's going good. Um, yeah, so... Uh, you were telling me you're you're a, a bit pretty big fan of uh, the critic. Yeah, I mean it was one of uh, the earliest shows that I got like in, uh, into. I remember it's you know it's funny it's um, I obviously grew up a huge Simpsons fan. Um, I'm sure when you you know 89 to 99 are the sweet years, and then like you know through the Simpsons obviously like the uh, the critic came on on Fox afterwards and such. I mean. I forgot that it was on ABC at first, and then it was on Fox. But um, but yeah, I'm actually I'm actually really happy you started this podcast too, because uh, now there's like two podcasts about people talking about shows I love. It's yours and uh, Michael Imperioli and uh, Stephen Sherpa do Talking Sopranos. They talk <laughs> Sopranos, so nice. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, oh, I I love the Sopranos, um, and then yeah, Michael Imperioli, of course, was um, Christopher. And then, God, I can't remember who Steve Sharipa played on that show. Bobby Bacala. Oh, God. Okay, yeah. Oh, man. He was he was one of my favorite characters because he was, like, the only guy who wasn't, like, completely terrible. Yeah, he never cheated <laughs> on his wife. And, uh, I mean, he did end up with Tony's, like, sister Janice, which is, you know, it deducts a point, but... Uh, <laughs> But I think that's more on her because she uh, she sort of preyed on him at his at his most vulnerable. So, yeah, yeah, and he was also like Uncle June's like you know whipping boy for a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like he was the only one who probably cared more about him than like Tony or Janice and stuff. I mean, but Tony at least had a good excuse. I mean, he Uncle Junior did try to kill him twice, you know. So, <laughs> God, oh man. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, uh, I think that's enough about the Sopranos. Um, let's get into the critic. And oh, actually, before I forget, we actually I got a piece of email into the show. Uh, so um, if any listeners out there uh, want to interact, want to send me a message, it's it stinks pod at gmail dot com is where you send those emails. You can also hit me up on uh, Twitter or uh, Instagram at it stinks pod, but uh, we got a message here. Subject line forward industrialist has just taken on job. You this is from Jake Cooper. Uh, he writes, Good day. We have an exhilarating job chance in the vacant job of package manager in our expanding logistics enterprise. We offer a very generous base salary with other perks. We will also instruct you so that you gain success in your new position. Simply respond to this address and someone from our company will get back to you. Pay no mind if to this email if not interested. Um, 
thanks for that message, Jake. I'll take that into consideration. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, again, itstinkspod at gmail.com if you'd like to send any email messages. So, uh, cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, Sam, you ready to get into this episode? Yep. Let's do it. Cool. So this is A Day at the Races and A Night at the Opera. The um, uh, synopsis here says, Jay tries to help Marty overcome an inferiority complex by bringing him to see his psychiatrist. Uh, That was the synopsis it gave in the uh, DVD uh, notes, but that that really only covers like, I don't know, 10% of the episode. Yeah, it's a very small portion of this one. Actually, like when you told me about this episode, this one was one I, I admit this one I uh, could not remember right off the bat, like what it was about. I mean, I thought uh, I did. So I did look at I did a little research on the episode, like after I watched it, too. I know that Ken Keeler wrote it and uh, uh, he wrote like obviously like wrote. Uh, he's actually the one who also wrote the Simpsons crossover episode, too, actually, with the critics. Oh, so. yeah. But uh, I also I also appreciate that though that the episode is titled after two Marx Brothers movies. So right, <laughs> um, I think I've only seen Night at the Opera. I don't think I've seen Day at the Races. But yeah, I do love the Marx Brothers. Oh yeah, I remember um, my dad would. Uh, apparently, my dad always told me like whenever I was a baby or as a kid when I couldn't sleep, he'd take me downstairs and like for whatever reason, like old comedy like black and white movies were on. So it's like. Mm. That and Abbott Costello were like two of the earliest influences. So, oh yeah, um, I remember somehow like in the early '90s, like Blockbuster Video had like old Abbott and Costello like compilations on VHS. I remember those. Yeah, pretty sure my dad rented a couple of those for us. So that's that's like how I first saw you know the Who's on First and all those classic uh, routines it's funny because i never for a comedy duo i never really remember abbott being that funny and really like <laughs> luke costello being the one like who had to carry the weight and stuff it was like it was kind of like uh he was kind of like an unfunny wren where he would just like get annoyed with whatever stupid thing like uh lou his stimpy would do and then just like slap him or something or like yeah well i mean you know every duo you need the straight man to kind of just give the the wacky guy something to play off of this is true yeah (laughs) um but yeah so in this episode yeah we get a lot of uh marty we kind of focus on him for half of it the other half is again this kind of familiar uh setup of uh duke trying to get jay to increase his ratings but uh yeah we get a lot of good stuff let's uh just start at the beginning where basically uh we're on Jay's show, and he reviews uh, "Honey, I Ate the Kids" with uh, with the characters from uh, Silence of the Lambs. Sweetheart, have you seen Timmy, Becky, and Alex? I haven't seen them since lunch. We had fava beans and a nice Chianti. Did you eat the kids again, Clarice? You don't look so well. Let me take your temperature. That's a meat thermometer. So it is, Clarice. Yeah, I kind of I I love this uh, parody. Sometimes they just get really goofy, but I thought this one really worked. Then um, <laughs> Jay teases on his next show. He's going to talk about child stars I've accidentally sat on, um, and then that just brings in uh, Duke, who uh, again just sets up this like you know trying to get Jay to increase his ratings thing, saying that Jay is losing viewers to the Dryer Channel. <laughs> 
oh yeah it's like and I, I, that joke is great because it's like people watch this right it kind of reminded me of like some of the weird shows you might see on like public access or just like surfing channels late at night yeah yeah I uh, I didn't watch a lot of public access growing up it's like uh, I feel like I would watch like like gubernatorial like debates on Pennsylvania public access show and stuff. It's like I think the last thing I ever saw was uh Ed Red, former governor Ed Rendell was like debating like former Pittsburgh Steelers player Lynn Swan. It was running for governor in like two thousand six <laughs> and he was like talking about some like testing thing in schools. I was like, wait, I took this test. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I actually did watch a bit of uh, uh, public access growing up. You see some some weird stuff on there, of course. Uh, I actually saw so one one show that I would actually watch with uh, a little regularity was called the Junior Christian Science Bible Lesson Show, which was a Saturday morning religious program hosted by uh, David Unger Hart, who would later kind of go on to cult status when uh i think tim and eric discovered him and, and put him on uh tim and eric awesome show nice. he was like the uh puppeteer who would like sing weird songs oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah like so yeah he, he used to have a religious uh uh like kids puppet show on on public access it was uh it was pretty great i'll check that out you know what's funny too is uh i remember that that particular uh movie reference the honey eat the kids one i was a weird kid like i remember like those moments i remember and i would always quote that one a lot and like to my friends and like someone just didn't plainly get it and then i'd quote it to my mom and my mom would get like weirded out by it because she knew the movie and she was like she liked the simpsons but didn't like the critic just thought it was stupid it's like it's like you're not going around repeating this at school a lot are you i'm like why <laughs> nice <laughs> um yeah, so that's it for that scene with Duke and Jay. So then we go from there to Marty's UN uh, high school where they're having a field day where I guess everyone just plays a bunch of different sports for for the parents or whatever. I like my school. I don't think they ever did anything like a field day. Like, I don't know. Is this a thing that schools do? I have no idea. Like to me, it's like, I mean, I was always, I mean, I went to public school my whole life and I was just like, I mean, I knew we had recess and we played stuff and we did like, uh, I think like at the end of the year, we did a big thing in gym with like, you know, like a big dodgeball event or something. But something like this, I have no idea. Like, yeah. yeah. What's funny though, is uh, I went to, I did go to an international studies academy for my, uh, for my middle school year, actually, uh, he used to be named after Henry uh, Clay Frick, who was just like this. Uh, he was kind of like the Koch brothers of Pittsburgh, like to a degree. Okay. But they, <laughs> but they renamed them my middle school after Barack Obama. So, like, oh, that's uh, cool. yeah. So, but it was had kids from all different countries around. So it's like I was kind of connected with the UN school, but we never had anything like this though. So yeah, it's just basically I don't know. I guess since it's like an international school, they do this kind of like Olympics kind of thing. Yeah, maybe. Um, but so, yeah, so we get uh, a bunch of different kids doing a bunch of different sports. Uh, I liked the, um, oh yeah, the, uh, the girl from Bulgaria, Olga Testosterov throwing shot put. <laughs> now in the shot put, Marty Sherman versus Bulgaria's Olga Testosterov. <clears throat> hey, Olga, your mother called. She said, moo. 
<coughs> oh! Skull, crack, brains, leaking out. Can't wait to see new Chevy Chase movie. And of course, the Easter Island kids jokes are always great. Like, uh... Oh yeah, this episode introduces the Easter Island kid. Yeah, so yeah, just basically a kid who's head is a giant statue and he's always like tipping over <laughs> um pretty simple joke but uh yeah they get a lot of mileage out of it yeah yeah it was a good it became a really good recurring yeah, joke throughout the series especially in season two so oh yeah he yeah he so we're gonna get a lot more from well sadly the unnamed easter island kid they never actually give him a name but yeah but i know at, at one point we even see his parents who of course are just adults with also giant easter island heads you know you get it yeah. <laughs> um uh but so yeah so basically the the whole thing with this field day is that marty basically sucks at sports he does a bunch of different things and uh he just doesn't do well at any of them. He attempts the long jump. He actually manages to jump backwards. Our next event is the long jump. <laughs> I'm afraid you've actually gone back a few feet. You would have been better off just standing there. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I can relate to this. I was pretty bad at sports as a kid. And still, and still am as far as that goes. I mean, I never really liked uh, gym growing up. I mean, especially since like I never understood the idea of making little kids climb a rope up right. to the ceiling. <laughs> like, I'm like, why? Like, let's just get out the parachute or like, I mean, I, I mean, throwing a ball, like hitting hitting another kid with a with a red rubber ball. I mean, it's a little brutal, but at least it's fun. But why? And those mats are not going to save me. Like those mats are those gym mats are shit. Oh no. And and if you have to rely on your your fellow kids to catch you, they're not going to do that. Yeah, it not really well thought. I mean, like don't be wrong, I'm all for like, you know, having, you know, make kids go and exercise do physical education. It's just like be a little bit smarter with this one, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah. So basically, uh by the end of field day, Marty's uh pretty sad he didn't win any medals, but he does get the booby prize from President Mangasuthu, which is just like a trophy with just like a, a horse's ass on it. Is that like the earliest form of a participation trophy that you can get? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's like literally a, a participation trophy. Um, <laughs> uh, but also, I would say uh, uh, critic fans pay attention to the fact that it is a horse's ass. That is actually going to come back uh in a season two episode, especially connected with uh, President Mangasuthu and the UN school. Basically, Marty has to build a parade float on his own, but no one helps him. So all he's able to make is the two rear uh, rear legs of a horse. And so he, he makes a uh, parade float that's just a giant horse's ass. <laughs> and uh, my the favorite part about that joke too is like that's when they were just on Fox. And they just turn it's like just Jay turns and goes, "You're watching Fox. You give us thirty minutes, we'll give you a giant horse's ass." Yes, that is one of the jokes that I like. I saw that as a kid, and it just stuck with me because like that that joke just made me just bust out laughing so hard. Just the giant horse's ass and just that whole thing. Ah, so good. I think yeah, every time I drive past the Fox Studios, I just think that should be their slogan. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh God. Um, yeah. So that, uh, yeah. So that's the end of act one. Uh, as we begin act two, uh, Jay has taken Marty to try to cheer him up. He's taking him to two guys in hairnets pizza, which pretty simple joke, but I like it. And, uh, oh yeah. So Jay says, uh, you know, instead of really trying to cheer him up, he says, Oh, just try to forget your failures and move on. Like he has, and then he's surrounded by this like black cloud that just envelops him. And then we get this uh, flashback of him on his um, wedding night shattering a waterbed. <laughs> ah, 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 it's coming back! Ooh, a waterbed. Was it as good for you, baby? Yikes. Uh, gotta wonder how much water was actually in that waterbed because it floods the entire building. I'm, when did waterbeds, like, all, when did people stop doing, like, waterbeds? I remember, like, my younger brother had a waterbed at our house in the early 90s. I feel like, I think, obviously, they became some somewhat of a safety hazard, I think. But uh, was it, like, just the mid-90s? People were like, okay, no more waterbeds. This is stupid. Yeah, it, it was definitely a fad. I don't exactly know when it started, but I remembered, yeah, like it was always like your weird friend or like, you know, the the weird guy who lives down the street that had the waterbed. It was never like, you know, the normal like uh, everyday like, you know, nuclear family that slept on a waterbed. Um, I think are, are you familiar with the um, uh, the Topanga area of uh la uh yeah i think i've been driven through it before at some point so yeah it's it's basically you know it's kind of a mountain community where basically a bunch of old hippies live it there's uh, a lot of yeah there's a lot of like new age stuff you can find there I, i'm pretty sure that's where i encountered my first waterbed was in um like a, a friend of my uh parents again a weird old hippie from the 60s who had a waterbed I just don't understand how people could sleep on those. It's like as somebody who like, unless I'm like cuddling with someone in bed, I'm just going to be tossing and turning and like readjusting myself. So I don't foresee like how I can do that on in a waterbed. Yeah. Cause they give zero support cause it's water. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. I guess the, the, the selling point, I guess is you, Oh, you feel like you're floating, I guess. But, but no, because you don't, you don't like, you don't like sink and then and then float like you would in a in a pool or something. You're you're on top of this weird mattress that yeah offers zero support. And then what happens if like it starts to leak or float? Do you then get the simulation? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it becomes a water bed, bed and turns into a water boarding bed. Uh, God, yeah. I mean, I, I assume if it starts leaking, you just God, I don't know. Get get all the valuables out of the house. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so after that uh, kind of flashback thing, Jay says they have to find what Marty is good at, and who overhears that? But Steve Allen, uh, doing his own voice, Steve Allen, the 
comedian slash musician slash like a thousand other things that he did. And in my case, it's writing books, songs, playing the piano, hosting TV shows. Steve Allen. Designing office furniture, mediating border disputes, playing bass for Metallica, and communicating with porpoises. Your dad's right, Marty. You can read all about it in my book, Steve Allen's Advice to Marty. Thanks, Mr. Allen, but... No time, Marty. My shift's over, and I feel an operetta coming on. Yeah, I never... I'm trying to think of, like, how I first heard of Steve Allen. I think he was probably the guy who I thought did uh, Hello, Mother, Hello, Father. You know, the, oh, or the, yeah. What's that guy's name? It's, uh, uh, that's that's Alan Sherman. That's yeah, right. Not Steve Allen, but, um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, though I did, uh, there there used to be um, a theater here in L.A. called the Steve Allen Theater that I was a big fan of. They had a lot of great comedy shows and variety shows and things that you could just, you wouldn't see anywhere else. It was a great, really unique space that just unfortunately isn't around anymore. Was that in Hollywood or North Hollywood? Uh, it was in Hollywood. It was on uh, Hollywood Boulevard, uh, like between Normandy and Vermont. Gotcha. Isn't there a theater in New York? Because I know Steve Allen was like the technically the first Tonight Show host, but uh, oh no, wait. I, I was thinking. I was thinking like, isn't that where like they shoot Colbert? No, it's the Ed Sullivan Theater. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. There, there should be there should be more than one theater named after Steve Allen. He deserves it. Yeah, I mean, he started it all. It's uh, by the way, when you were growing, actually, I asked you when you were growing up, like, which uh, in your household, especially during the nineties, were you a Leno? household or letterman household or were you uh oh i i uh i gotta say i preferred letterman um i always thought leno was just kind of lame and and boring and i i i don't know i was just a sucker for the the simple hook of the top 10 list oh yeah and then like you know stupid human tricks or whatever i i just thought i just dug kind of letterman's whole kind of sense of humor which was kind of more a little more like jaded and cynical at times i i just kind of connected with that more oh absolutely just very dry very uh i mean i think him and paul schaefer were a great duo i still think uh i mean i still think in terms of late night tv show i think andy richter is still the greatest like tv show sidekick you could have you know Oh, wow. Okay. Like there were times that I think on Conan's, even on Conan's like old show, I thought there were times, not that, I mean, not that I don't like, like Conan, I do. It's just, I think, uh, I think there were just times where like Andy stole the show a lot of the times, just like his littlest bits or just his most subtle like moments. Sure. Yeah. No, I admittedly, like I didn't start watching Conan until like I got to college. And by that time, I think Andy was gone. So um, I haven't, seen a lot of the classic Andy Richter moments, but I mean, I, I, um, I loved him on Arrested Development when he had his arc on that show and, um, he's hilarious on Twitter. I follow him on Twitter where he's, he's great. Yeah. In college, I, I pretty much just watched Conan where I, yeah, I was a big fan of like the, uh, like the masturbating bear and like, uh, all the, um, what's the, oh, triumph, the triumph, the insult comic dog. Oh my God. That is still, <laughs> I think that is Robert Smigel has given us so much joy. Oh yeah. <laughs> but that by far is still one of the greatest things. And the best part was when he, when Conan moved the show to TBS, one of the funniest like triumph, the insult comic dog moments was like once they, I mean, you know, a lot of them, when they moved to TBS, like they did a whole week where they did a show in Chicago and they went to what was called the meanest place in Southside uh, Chicago, where the people who owned it would make funny the people and such. And they sent Jack 
prayer, the nicest guy they know there. <laughs> yes, I've yes, I've I've seen that one. Uh, yeah, that was legendary. Um, also, the uh, the one where where Triumph goes to the Star Wars line. <laughs> Yeah, he's like just the Darth Vader guy. He's like, is he said button to call your mommy? <laughs> oh God, so good. But yeah, Robert Smigel definitely underrated. I was a big fan of TV Funhouse when that was oh, on. Yeah. Um, well, but like the yeah, like the spinoff TV show and just like the cartoon shorts on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, Colbert and Corral doing the ambiguously gay duo. But I always <laughs> loved the ex presidents though. I thought that one was because like the chair because. The other thing that was thing that was great about critic, especially with Ken Keeler writing this episode and going on to Futurama, was always the president jokes. And like my favorite was just like the the Gerald Ford jokes, where it's like Ronald Reagan, Mr. Gorbachev, I'm going to kick your ass, Jimmy Carter, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm to kick your ass, Gerald Ford. Hey, yeah. um, I think the TV Funhouse moment from SNL that I I always remember was. Um, I, 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 I forget like what the setup was. Um, but it was, I don't know. It was something about like all the catchphrase characters that there would be. He was like making fun of like, he was doing like maybe the life of a catchphrase or something. And, um, it sort of, it takes this sidebar where Lorne Michaels is talking to Satan and Lauren Michaels is like, okay, that's it. Deal's off. You, you, you never said it would get this bad. <laughs> I think, I think they removed that part from syndication. I, I do remember that bit too. And actually, I was, th- I thought you were going to refer to another bit where Lauren Michaels is talking about the art of like a character and a catchphrase, where it's like they do, uh, they show like Molly Shannon's like, I love it, I love it, I love it. Characters like, remember, rule three, as everyone laughs, if you do it a fourth time. Love it. Everyone goes, boo. Okay, <laughs> next guy. Now, this is the little guy you won't remember. It's like, I forget what Joe Piscopo's reoccurring like, line was. But everyone applauds, and it's like, okay, anything else that comes out of this guy? Hello, I'm Joe Piscopo. Boo. <laughs> but they actually do fun of uh, John Lovitz of that one. Yeah, the- I was going to say, I, I think they did That's the Ticket or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, All right. So I guess back to the episode here. Um, um, So uh, so I think after. Yeah. So after the pizza restaurant, that's where we go um, back to Jay's show where now Duke kind of brings in. I got to say this really just kind of contrived plot device where he's like after them magazine says Jay is the wittiest person alive. Well, we're back, and... Folks, this magazine says Jay's the wittiest man alive, so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Watch Jay for a month? You don't laugh? I pay you a hundred bucks. Get cracking, wit boy. Uh... Okay, pretty... Like, the kind of thing that would only happen in a dumb sitcom, right? Like, it's just such a ridiculous setup. Yeah, and it also goes to show, like, how much money does Duke Phillips really have, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's like, yeah, he's like a billionaire. Or is he one of those billionaires who doesn't want to show his tax returns, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if he, you know, he's based on Ted Turner, who I think, you know, actually made something. So he, I think he did have (laughs) actual wealth, you know, he's not like someone who just um, inherited wealth or or something like that. That's right. Yeah. Um, 
So after that scene, that's where we get the scene alluded to in the synopsis, Jay and Marty at the psychiatrist. Um, and I think kind of just nothing really important happens in this scene. Just the psychiatrist is secretly doing a crossword puzzle, which is how many times have we seen that joke? Um, uh, but I did enjoy that just the fact that both Jay and Marty are laying on couches like it's like like they're both seeing the psychiatrist at the same time. Yeah, it's like uh, what, what does he say? He says it's like I I'm afraid to like tell my father like uh, you know like or be honest with my father, and then he's like I'm afraid to just let down my son sort of thing. It's like he's just basically blatantly like lying to him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you know that. Yeah, Jay. Give him credit for being a good dad, but like, yeah, he he does it to a fault where it he gets into, you know, I think um, a thing called toxic positivity where, you know, he like, you know, he refuses to acknowledge the things that are bad or the things that need to be improved upon. I always thought, like, in terms of the animated TV dads, he was one of the better fathers. Because it's like, you know, we talk a lot. It's like we talk a lot about especially the Fox Lion and other Fox TV dads. It's like, you know, it's like we all want to say Homer's a good dad. Homer's a good dad, but he strangles his kid. So it's yeah. like <laughs> and he's got a drinking problem, clearly. So it's like, uh, yeah, it's. I mean, he comes around. He has his like moments of like his like redeem his redeeming qualities, but it's like you still also strangling your kid. Yeah. So it's a big, like you know, it's a big it's a it's it's a big scratch right there. And then you have like Hank Hill, for example, who oh man, I've had people get into ugly debates about whether he's a good or bad father, but he is. Uh, I th I don't think he's the best father. I mean, he does make fun of Bobby a lot, and he's so repressed. <laughs> he's incapable of showing emotion, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think Jay is a pretty good dad as well. It, and yeah, it, it's like you couldn't you couldn't possibly imagine him choking his son the way Homer would. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, he's not perfect. I don't think any dad is. But uh, on the whole, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind having Jay as a dad. Yeah, me neither. I think like uh, I mean, yeah. imagine all the free movies you'd get to see. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. All right, so then we then go to Duke's office uh, where <laughs> Duke basically wants Jay to use this, like, electronic toy that you press a button on it and it just shouts an insult. Son, I want you to go on the air with this. Shove it, shove it, kiss off, kiss off. You smell. <laughs> you smell? I never see it coming. I'm not going on the air with that thing. All right, I'll give the box its own sitcom. It's called Shove It. Kiss off, you smell. Which uh, I also remember there was a toy like this from the 90s. I don't remember what it was called, but yeah, it was basically just like a little electronic box with buttons on it, and you'd press it, and it'd be, and it would shout an insult at you. Was it like a little keychain thing that you have? Like, I think I remember it being like, I think there was a keychain version of it and a regular version of it. So I remember it being bigger than that. I, I actually remember it having like a, a belt clip on it because so you could clip it to your belt. It was like a walkie talkie sized thing. OK. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could remember what it was called. I feel like all of us growing up in the 90s had like one of those like 
I feel like in the nineties it was easier to like be on like those fads because those fads were like not they weren't like super expensive or anything. Like anybody could get on them. I mean like pods, like yeah. who thought like who thought cardboard like little things would just introduce kids to the world of gambling, you know? Right. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, I went through a pogs phase for sure. I had a whole uh, Simpsons pod collection. Those were the only pogs I would never want to like gamble away. Cause like, if, I'm sure like, if you know, you went to your local comic book store or something, they had a big pit, a barrel of them and stuff and you could buy a bunch for like a dollar or something. So. Yeah. And, and yeah, like every, uh, like every property or every like, you know, thing a kid could like would have pogs. Like I remember having X-Men pogs, things like that. Wait, how did we get onto Pogs? Oh, yeah, just dumb talking, 90s yeah, toys. Yeah, like, sorry, 90s <laughs> oh, toys like yeah. that. Like, of course, there was the red lasers. We all remember those. Like, oh, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, so I th- oh, then Duke says he wants to give the box its own sitcom, which is great. <laughs> uh, I, I would probably watch that. <laughs> but then from there, uh, oh, we get maybe my favorite gag of the show. Like, you know, Duke says he wants to find a way, a way to make Jay funny. So his way to do that is to pair him with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and they do like wow. a ventriloquist act. Welcome to Coming Attractions. I'm Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and this is Little Nuthead. This is so demeaning. I have a PhD in film. Okay, Dr. Nuthead, why don't you sing John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt while I drink a glass of water? John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. That's my name too. I spit in the water. <laughs> Not head. It's funny. I always remember this cutaway joke. I just never remembered like what episode it was from until this one. And then when once that came up, I immediately got excited. I'm like, oh, it's the nuthead bit. Yeah, I, I gotta say, some of the funniest jokes have that problem because they're so disconnected from the main plot. Cause like I used to have trouble remembering where the uh, the Marlon Brand or no the the Orson Welles commercials were like the the fish sticks thing. <laughs> um, oh yeah, but yeah. So uh, sometimes you just can't remember where those jokes are. But yeah, this uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar thing, uh, classic. He calls him Little Knothead. <laughs> Love it. I spit in the water. <laughs> So, yeah, from there, uh, Jay takes Marty to the mall to sign him up for a judo class, which, again, I guess another kind of 90s thing. I think like every kid took karate at at one point or, you know, some sort of martial art Um, because like we had we had the Ninja Turtles. We had the Karate Kid, just like karate was like the big thing. Everyone wanted to do it for some reason. I mean, I made it up to my orange belt and then got bored and then did community theater. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I never had the discipline to stick with it for long. It was I uh, I see my my cousin Kelly has three kids and like they're like all three of them are just like super like they're eleven and thirteen and like nine. They're all super good at like athlete, you know, like whether it's wrestling or football or something. But I've seen them like do karate. I've seen like these little kids punch like wooden boards. Mm-hmm. And I am terrified of them. So, <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I remember getting to break boards. That was like the only, uh, well, I, I'll say the most fun part. Like it, it's just a, a kind of a cool thrill to break a board with your hand. Um, so that was cool. Everything else I could kind of take or leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so um, Marty 
gets signed up for a judo class, and then his first opponent is Satoshi, the Eater of Souls. Judo teaches us size is nothing next to cunning. All right. Ah, Marty, your opponent will be Satoshi, the Eater of Souls. <sighs> Who has disturbed my thousand-year sleep? <laughs> Which is like... It's a funny gag, but I'm like, what are they making fun of here? I didn't quite get it. Like, is it the fact that, like, when you take karate, you might get paired up with a kid that's going to kick your ass or something? Like, I don't know. What What did you make of this? I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I thought it was an easy gag to go with to move it along. But I think, like, like the character's reoccurring bits where he gets the cookie puss and he's playing guitar and mm-hmm. stuff. Like, yeah in the mall like i mean like it's like okay it's like you know they don't drag this joke out and they use it just just right but it's not it's definitely not the strongest joke of the show uh i kind of like uh i also remember this show was like well this and simpsons were early like things where they had stores of different pun uh names i remember the the dojo is called hey judo right right yeah and i guess satoshi is kind of like I guess you would see a character like that in like a, you know, like a Kung Fu movie or something. So maybe that's what they're going for. Yeah, I feel like in like one of those mythological uh, things, the one thing that really sticks out, the one thing that I can't, I swear to God, I know they they are a thing. And I know the BC Boys, like in their punk rock eras, did a whole song called about it. But do you ever remember having a cookie puss like as a kid? Like, <laughs> That's the thing I don't remember, like, ever having. No, because that was, like, a Carvel thing, and we never had Carvel um, when I was a kid. We only had, like, Baskin-Robbins that would make ice cream cakes. Um, So, yeah, never had a Cookie Puss, never had um, a... God, what are the other ones? There's a a whale one. I can't remember what it's called. Fudgy the Whale. Fudgy the Whale. Archer. Archer would make jokes about that, actually, like every once in a while and stuff. So. Yeah, because I think Carvel actually invented the ice cream cake. So they invented all those things. And then like Baskin Robbins and everyone just like ripped them off. Gotcha. OK. And you know what, too? This show's based in New York. Archer was based in New York. Like in, in Beast Boys, I think it's it's clearly a very like New York and probably New Jersey like based company. So let's see. I'm just looking up Carvel on Wikipedia real quick. Tom Carvel of the Ice Cream Company. Yeah, so Carvel was uh, mostly in the northeastern United States, it says. So, uh, so yeah, on the West Coast, we wouldn't have had had those. Yeah, I think, like, because uh, the thing about Pittsburgh is, Pittsburgh is a, I always call it, it's a Midwest city in the East Coast state because people forget, like, Pennsylvania, half of it's, like, on the East Coast, like, where there's, like, obviously Philly to Scranton and stuff, and then, you know, the best part about Billion Scranton is if you're not happy there, like everything else is just two hours away. You know, New York, <laughs> more Delaware, if you want to go there. Okay. New Jersey, like wherever you want to go. It's like, we don't like those series to go. And then Pittsburgh and then Lake Erie are on the other sides. So I think like, uh, I think it was James Carville once said in the nineties said, it's like, you got Pittsburgh on one end, Philly on the other, and then Pennsylvania in the, uh, or like Alabama in the middle, which I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. It's like it's one of those like weird like northern like northeastern states where it's like it's it's not exactly Appalachia, but it's almost there where it's like it's like woods. It's like anytime you have a vacant wood pe- wood like woods area with like little towns, it's like 
I don't want to like stereotype that little area, but it's like there's going to be some backwards towns, you know? Sure. <laughs> I mean, there's towns in California that are the 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 same. Like as long, as soon as you get outside the big city, like yeah, like small rural towns, they they all kind of become like that. Um, Hunter S. Thompson's like uh, Hell's Angels has forever made me scared to go out to Barstow. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I've never been to Barstow, uh, but I've been to San Bernardino, which ha- has can, can give off kind of the same vibe, like the whole Inland Empire, uh, which I think is also where Sons of Anarchy takes place, which kind of tells you all you need to know. Um, uh, yeah. Um, all right. So. So, yeah, I love that Sat- we see Satoshi getting a cookie puss cake and then we see him later playing guitar. Big girls don't cry. Big girls don't cry. Ay, ay, ay. They don't cry. Which is just somehow a, a perfect song choice for him. <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, that leads Marty to uh, to, yeah, to pick up a guitar and this and, like, Jay thinks that's the perfect thing that'll get his self-esteem up. Uh, although, oh wait, am I, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead a little bit because before this, uh, Jay and Marty go to a, uh, a, a fashion store and they like buy a bunch of new suits and stuff. And this is kind of the, an important scene in the episode because when uh, Marty is in the dressing room, he discovers he can roll his stomach which is going to come back later. But uh, the first person he shows it to, the little girl in the store, not exactly impressed with it. Hey, Dad, look at this. Ew, gross. Look at his stomach. Let us fleet the Hohokus and Weehawken, the twin jewels in Joyzee's crown. Yeah, she gets freaked out by it. But uh, yeah, it's it's one of those uh, talents that's like, it's it's clearly not for everybody, so... No, nope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't. Yeah, can't please everyone. Uh, oh, yeah. But uh, I, I wanted to talk about when they're at the guitar store, they just have this little kind of like uh, meta moment where it's perfect. Musicians don't have to be handsome. And do they get beautiful women? Let me just say two words to you. Lyle Lovett. I thought he was handsome. No, you're thinking of John Lovett's. And I agree. With his Sephardic good looks, he takes the cake. Not the not the first time they've kind of broken the fourth wall in that way, because there is... Uh, I forget which episode it is, but the, like John Lovett's himself has a little animated cameo in the show. Um... Where also Jay just remarks on how handsome he is. I think that's after they go to a taping. Like Jeremy Hawk is like hosting like uh, what is it called Thursday Night Live from Passaic, New Jersey. Obviously, oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Got got to say like meta jokes, like breaking the fourth wall jokes. I I'm a sucker for those. I I always love them. So Jay actually does get Marty a guitar. So they. Uh, go home with with it and uh marty's practicing and he is well you know he sounds the way everyone sounds when they first play guitar they sound uh terrible um but so i guess we're at uh i guess it's ardith's uh apartment jay's ex-wife and uh marty's practicing and the neighbor is yelling at him to turn it down turns out that neighbor is marty's guitar teacher Knock off that rack 
record or I'll call the cops. His teacher says he's supposed to practice. I am his teacher. Yikes. Uh. <laughs> I don't know. Did you ever play uh, an instrument as a kid? Uh, so I remember we had a music class. They taught us how to use a recorder, which sure. I think every kid has learned how to play at one point in their life. I did try to play the violin a little bit and oh, wow. I could play like very simple, like, you know, very, very, very basic keys on the piano, but it's weird. I could read music, but I could never really play it. You know, like mm. my hand was never really fast enough to keep up with it, you know? Yeah. Um, I should actually maybe mention, uh, my girlfriend is actually a music teacher. Uh, like she literally just finished her master's in teaching from a music school. So she is now a bona fide music teacher. Um, nice. but yeah, so she knows a lot about like music education, especially in, in like, um, elementary and middle school. And, and so like the reason they give a lot of kids recorders is, well, a, if you drop it, it doesn't break. Um, and it's also just like, you know, uh, just a cheap, easy to learn, easy to play instrument. Um, and I'm sure like, you know, each school would love to have like, you know, a whole orchestra of instruments that they could let kids play. But, you know, how many schools have a music budget that big, you know? Yeah. I went to, yeah, I went to a performing arts high school and, um, yeah, I, oh, had wow. a, yeah, I had a lot of friends. I mean, like, uh, what's funny is, um, I remember when I went to audition there for the theater thing, my theater program, my mom's like, you should watch fame before you go and audition there. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if I want to go there now, actually. <laughs> so, uh, but I had a lot of friends who were just uh, really like great musical dudes. Like the jazz band, the jazz band guys were always the best. Like they just, uh, they just always like uh, really killed it and stuff. Um, you've, you've been playing drums for a while, right? Or that Yeah. I, um, I've been playing drums since I was uh, 12 years old. Um, but I, I, I never really like all my musical knowledge is either just like self-taught or from a private teacher. I never, I don't know. I never was interested in, in um, like joining marching band or, or taking uh, like a music class in school or whatever. I, I just, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it uh, as a hobby where it could just be fun. I, I never had to play music for homework or anything like that. You never had J.K. Simmons teacher from whiplash right oh, like god I, i've no um <laughs> but apparently my girlfriend knows people that are like that so Man. um so yeah that that movie you know partially based on truth um but yeah i i gotta say i i, I love playing music i will probably play music my entire life it's it's yeah just one of those things that always always makes me feel better when i do it so uh so even though i never like I said, I was never interested in taking music classes in school or whatever. I totally support, you know, incre let's increase arts funding. Let's give schools more instruments. So, Absolutely. so that, yeah, so that more kids can, can maybe discover their love of music. Really quickly, you're going to love, I think you're going to laugh at this about my uh, art, about my uh, performing arts high school. We had no sports teams, but we had a mascot and our mascot was a unicorn. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay. So where were we? Oh yeah. So guitar teacher yells at Marty. Um, so then, uh, oh yeah. So then they watch a news report. So we get kind of this update on the other plot of this show. Duke's, you know, hundred dollar bet 
on Jay making people laugh. And uh, we get this news report where people are starting to demand their money because Jay's not making people laugh. Though I, my favorite part of this was the uh, the the uh, woman who says the Jay Sherman roach spray makes roaches look like Jay Sherman. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just don't find Mr. Sherman's antics amusing. And this Jay Sherman roach spray just makes the roaches look like Jay Sherman. <laughs> Okay, I, I can get how, you know, you're disappointed because it's not getting rid of your roach problem, but how impressive is that, though? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, like, because I remember, like, both Duke Phillips, because Duke Phillips, like, I have to wonder if that was a Sherman-based, was that a Duke Phillips-based company or a, or a Sherman-based company? Because remember, like, his dad, like, owned a bunch of evil companies that, you know, did stuff. Oh. Like uh I, you know what? I don't know. They kind of just say it's the Jay Sherman roach spray. So who really knows? Yeah. So then, um, oh yeah. So then we get introduced to like this, uh, lawyer character who I, I believe it's, um, Maurice LaMarche doing the voice, but he, he basically sounds just like, um, uh, oh God, could not recall that name for some reason. Yeah. The lawyer sounds exactly like, uh, Jimmy Stewart. Mr. Phillips, I'm handling all three million prize claims in one class action suit. Pull up a hot poker and sit down. You're refusing to pay the prize money you publicly offered. Isn't that just a tad disingenuous? I don't believe you've met my lawyer. Tad disingenuous, attorney at law. So yeah, he kind of goes to Duke's office, points out all the people that are demanding money. Um, and then we see even, yeah, Jay's parents are out there. Mom, dad, I never made you laugh. Well, I did chuckle a bit when you tried to eat that bird and fell over the cliff. No, Franklin, that was the road runner. No, that was me. Uh, okay, so then uh, back at Artist's house, Marty still plucking away at that guitar. Uh, and then he says he's going to play guitar at the school talent show, which, um, uh, you know, got to give the kid points for confidence. Yep. <laughs> Um, cause like he's been learning guitar for, I don't know, a few days and yeah, he wants to show off his awesome skills. That's yeah, that's commendable. Love that. He's also trying to rock a Jimi Hendrix look with a bandana and a vest and stuff. So, <laughs> oh, is it? Hend I thought it was maybe, uh, Bruce Springsteen is where my mind went. Maybe just cause of the headband. Oh, um, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, it could be in any of those. Yeah. Those are the curly hair to be like the boss and the, uh, <laughs> so yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So let's see. So that kind of takes us into, uh, act three, uh, where now, yeah, Jay and Duke have been taken to court. Uh, the, oh yeah. The, um, the news reporter is there who like Duke fired in the previous scene. And now he's just kind of, Doing his report for like a little cardboard camera that he just set up himself. It's such a sad but terrific joke. <laughs> I know. Oh man. And then okay, so then we get into the trial, and like you know, in a court scene, there's so many uh, like kind of familiar jokes you can go for. I I I like the ones they they do here where. There's so many plaintiffs in the case, the judge. Due to the huge number of plaintiffs in this case, I've decided to house the overflow in the fabulous Meadowlands Sports Complex in Secaucus, New Jersey. We're all suing Jay Sherman. We want damages too. We 
You're the reason that we're in this pickle. Shut up. Which I've never been to. I assume that's a real place. I mean, I know Secaucus is a real place. I'm talking about the sports complex. I think that's where it is. I think that's where the Giants play and like uh, the Jets play and such. You know, it's uh, <laughs> okay. It's funny. It's like I remember like because I was listening to the episode. I know they would make Mario Cuomo jokes, but he actually he actually said when, he, when Mario Cuomo was governor, he said that like they asked me a Jets fan or a or a Giants fan. They said he said I'm a Bills fan. And like the Bills, but they suck. <laughs> yeah, the only real like football team that plays in New York. So. Oh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> so guy give him that, you know, that's yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, they call they call Franklin to the stand. And um, I don't know if they established it in the show at this point. But yeah, Franklin used to be governor of New York, which is why he says. Why, hello, judge. Didn't I appoint you? No, you appointed Mr. Potato Head, but the voters recalled him. Your Honor, I was hypnotized. Total Franklin move. Um, we totally imagine that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So then, so then Duke takes the stand, and I, you know, I thought they were gonna go for a few good men parody because Duke is even dressed in like a military uniform. Me too. Yeah. Which I think I, I believe he's stealing valor because Duke doesn't seem like the type that would serve in the military. He also, I feel like, too, that joke was an Ollie North-like reference as well. I mean, like, I know Ollie North was involved in the Iran-Contra thing, but, I mean, like, but, like, that that outfit and stuff is totally Ollie North, like, Colonel Ollie North and stuff, and because he's, like, talking about... I'll answer the question. Don't answer that question. Hammett, I'm going to answer the question. Yes, I sold the mustard gas to Gaddafi. Sir, this is the Jay Sherman trial. I mean... Oh, mustard gives me gas, as does taffy. Oh, yeah, the, the Ollie North thing totally didn't occur to me, but I'll, I'll bet that's it, because, yeah, Duke is also very right-wing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's actually, like, like I said, like, uh, if Futurama, like, if Futurama revitalized, like, Nixon jokes, you know, then, again, a lot of the, t- a lot of the writers went over to do that show as well. I feel like they really, I mean, they did a lot of Clinton jokes as they had to. They definitely did. I think it was like them and the critic at SL did a lot of great Ross Perot jokes, but mm. like, I remember they had some really good Reagan jokes that they were able to squeeze in too and Reagan references. So, yeah. Although, you know who did the best Ross Perot jokes was yeah. all that on Nickelodeon. Oh my God, Amanda Bynes. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't, Amanda it, it wasn't Amanda Bynes. It was, it was pre Amanda Bynes. It was like the original cast. And uh, I I forget the cast member's name, but yeah, it was like this young girl doing Ross Perot, which is uh, God, it was so good. I got a hundred million dollars. Yeah. I got that much, you know. <laughs> By the way, random thing. Apparently, like Terrence Killen from SNL was on that show for like a season, but huh. I cannot remember which season that is. I mean, we all obviously remember Keaton and Cal and Foster and a man. Finds it all down, but like I, uh, I, I think I need to do some digging for that ep- for that season. And I, I was always shocked that uh, Lori Beth Denberg never took off as a comedian. She was so good on that show. I mean, the library character was such a terrific reoccurring bit, you know. <laughs> and I loved, uh, oh god, what was it? It was like where she gave out like life tips or or whatever. Um, yeah, I forget what that segment was called. I think the last thing I saw her on, she made a guest appearance on an episode of Workaholics where she's just sitting in a hot tub smoking weed with the guys and stuff. So, 
<laughs> and that's it, perfect. Being her, you know, it's like, and they're all starstruck by it. So, oh, cool. Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll have to, I'll have to track that episode down. Yeah. Um. All right. Um. All right. So after uh, Duke is uh, off the stand, uh, Jay approaches the bench. <laughs> Were those your pants? Your Honor, this trial has been such a strain. If you could just walk a mile in my pants. Mr. Sherman, I could walk a mile inside your pants. That's it. I will not be ridiculed anymore. Uh (laughs) Well, Mr. Sherman, it appears you do make people laugh. Case dismissed. Uh, His his boxers has something on them, too. Oh, they say rear window? (laughs) (laughs) because yeah they always have the name of a movie on them oh yeah that's 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 actually the perfect like movie title to have on the back of a pair of boxers uh although in a a previous episode he has backdraft across his butt which is also perfect (laughs) uh yeah so uh so yeah the judge dismisses the case and that wraps up that plot with like five minutes left in the episode so uh <laughs> so that's great. Um so that leaves the rest of the episode basically takes place at the talent show at uh back at the UN school. So let's see. Uh oh yeah, so then yeah, there's just that brief scene of like Ardith and Marty or Ardith and, and Jay talking to Marty and then the Easter Island kid rides by on a unicycle. Um uh, <laughs> gotta bring back the Easter Island kid. Oh yeah. But then the first act in the actual talent show is uh, an Iraqi kid who does impressions. He, he does Tony Curtis and Johnny Carson. Thank you. Hey, wouldn't it be funny if Tony Curtis spoke honestly about U.S. policy in the Mideast? I think it might go something like this. Hey, what do you think? We're trying to take over. We're the great Satan. What do you think, Johnny Carson? Uh, may a constipated camel lay a caca in your couscous. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which I gotta say, I, I loved his routine. That kid, uh, he's going places. Absolutely, like <laughs> I mean, those impressions were just like were spot on too. It's like they could have, they could have, like they totally could have Andy Kaufman Latka that bit. Like, where it was, <laughs> oh god, like, I'm Jimmy Carter, president of the United States. Yeah, but they didn't. So, well, I think they they kind of go that route with uh, when Vlada's son Zoltan gets up there. Oh yeah. It's yeah, this is kind of the like let's make fun of the foreign kid thing where he he's singing his national anthem, which again they never say what country it is. Um, but he's singing his national anthem and it it, it sounds like he's saying like You don't understand. He's singing of all the people who died in the earthquake, fire and famine of eighteen oh five. Like, yeah, like Vlada like intervenes and like shames people for laughing at it, which seems like, okay, that's appropriate. But then they just double down on it. Yeah, it's like some sort of horrific like massacre that happened in the 1800s and such. And like, uh, and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) 
I don't know. The, yeah, this whole this whole joke uh, was like the one part of the episode that made me just feel a little uncomfortable because, oh, because also when uh, Manga Suthu introduces uh, uh, Zoltan, there's a little there's a like a transphobic joke where he says he's a boy who used to be a girl, and that used to be a secret. So <sighs> yeah. Uh, uh, like, yeah. yeah, another, like I've pointed out those jokes before on this show. So yeah, not everything ages well, unfortunately. Yeah. It, it's, I don't know why it's like those two. I mean, like, obviously like those jokes don't hold up really well now and stuff, but it's like, I don't know, even as a kid, like, I was just like, I don't know why I was just like, whenever I heard those jokes, like they didn't offend me because I didn't really understand, but I'd be all like, I don't, what's, what's the gag here? Right, yeah. Just that, that he's kind of, I don't know, effeminate or something. Okay. Yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, so moving on. Uh, <laughs> next we get... Um, oh, so we get just this brief scene of um, Marty backstage getting ready and uh, Mangasuthu says, No pressure, Marty, but the Pope and Nelson Mandela are in the audience and they came to party. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I enjoy that. Uh, pretty, pretty um, fancy school if they can draw, you know, the Pope and uh, Nelson Mandela just to watch the talent show. And this was the parties where they had still had John Paul II before, you know. Yeah. They had to go through, they had to go through him, then the uh, eh, the not so good fun, and then and then the cool Pope comes around, Frank. You know. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then. Uh, Oh, yeah. So next we get um, uh, Andrea Hernandez from Mexico playing guitar. Uh, so, yeah, so that kind of takes the wind out of Marty's sails because, well, there's another guitar player. So what's he going to do now? Um, and then I enjoy the fact that she she kind of changes from, you know, this kind of you know, like soft acoustic kind of playing to like just like a shredding solo on an acoustic guitar, which is especially impressive. <laughs> <laughs> um oh yeah i actually i should probably share this i i actually did do my uh high school talent show when i was a senior me and my brother were were in a band so our band played and that was like the first our first uh public performance um uh, did you guys play an original song or did you do a cover of anything Something? uh no yeah we played an original uh we played a uh it was an instrumental because uh, we didn't have a singer. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it was awesome. It was like, uh, it was the, like this, this sort of kind of, um, kind of fusion influenced, like, like prog metal song. Um, oh. I, I say that even though like we were still a high school band, so don't get any like grand ideas about how good it sounded. But, but uh, I, I, I thought, you know, we did a, a really great job. I had a lot of fun. Uh, and then, yeah, our band stayed together for a, a couple of years after that. We got we played the uh, the Whiskey A Go Go a couple times, which is uh, as far as we got. So, yeah, being in a band, it's it's fun. I recommend it. <laughs> Remember going to live shows? <sighs> yeah, well, someday. I still think it'll return someday. I mean, I'm okay with like having to go. Just, I mean, like here's the thing. I'm okay if it's like if you know we still have to wear masks and be like aside from the stuff. Because like I was, I've been thinking. I mean, not to get off topic, but I've just been thinking about that. It's like I'm wondering like what are going to be the guidelines for whether it's the pack or a live show, like whether it's a big venue, small venue, like how they're gonna 
you know, how they're going to do it and stuff for a little while and such, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely going to be a lot of trial and error as they figure that out. As I, I think, uh, AMC recently discovered where they were like, uh, eh, we're not going to make people wear Macs. We don't, we don't want to get into all that. And then, and then people were just like, what the hell are you talking about? And they quickly reversed that decision. So AMC has been one of the dumbest chain, like uh, corporate chains, like during this whole thing. Cause remember like, like universal was like, you know what? We'll just put the movies on demand for everybody. You know, like, you know, <laughs> here you go. And they're like, but we're not going to screen them. It's like, really? Oh yeah. Go back and think about that one for a bit. And AMC was the, the chain that uh, got into the, the, uh, like the legal battle over Trolls World Tour, right? Uh, I think so. What was the deal with that one? Like, uh, oh, something like how you know Trolls World World Tour kind of came out like right as quarantine happened, so they uh, released it uh, straight to VOD, um, or, or or you know it was in theaters and then they put it on VOD as it was like still making its theatrical run. Um, and it made so much money on VOD that they were like, oh, why didn't we just do this in the first place? And that <laughs> that like pissed off AMC so much that they were like not going to show that studio's movies anymore. Talk about being petty. Like, seriously, seriously it's like uh, it's also just kind of awesome that Trolls World Tour is the movie that's going to change the way we see movies. I mean, <laughs> if there ever was a movie that had to revolutionize things. <laughs> It's going to be Trolls World Tour. Uh, oh, oh, uh, here's just kind of just a, another quick sidebar, but kind of a uh, just a conversation topic me and like friends get into sometimes is um, what what was the last movie you saw in theaters before quarantine? Ooh, God, that was a, that's a good one. I'm trying to think of what that was. Was it a. Uh... Oh, okay. So I look close to the uh, landmark theater on Pico. I think this was the last movie. I don't remember, but it was this movie called, uh, not what's it called? Oh, the name of it's even escaped me, but it's based on a true story. And it's, uh, basically it has Forrest Whitaker in it. He plays this like min- black minister in a, uh, in a small South Carolina town and the Ku Klux Klan builds like a museum across the street from him. He's trying to like basically protest it. And when the one kid in the clan, like he's his uh, grand wizard, who's basically like his fa- who's like his father, like figure, tells him to kill, like go up on the roof and like shoot him. Uh, but then this like, but then this little kid gets in the way and he doesn't do it. He gets disowned by the clan. Basically, like he. And when he gets disowned, he's like becomes homeless. He doesn't have anybody, so he like takes him in. And basically sort of helps like him sort of see the light. It's, I mean, like, I mean, it, it's actually, a pr- it was actually really well done. I just can't remember the name of it, but it was like one of those like indie movies that like I just saw a Facebook or Instagram ad for. And I was just like, you know what? There's nothing I really am interested in seeing right now. This looks like it. So I think it is. What about you? What was your last movie? Uh, so for me, it was almost gonna be sonic the hedgehog because <laughs> uh, me and the girlfriend saw that together um valentine's day weekend um my idea obviously um uh but uh but no we ended up seeing um portrait of a lady on fire uh which was uh, re- yeah really good 
Yeah, you know what's what's funny is that poster for that movie is still up outside the landmark theater. Oh, like it's it is a little sad to see, but it's like I just uh, I don't know. I think like when movie theaters are allowed to open, are you gonna like are you gonna risk it or are you gonna wait for it a little bit? Do you think? You know, I was thinking about this because like. I think, you know, when theaters open, they're going to do things like, you know, they're only going to fill the theaters to like half capacity or, or even less. They're going to make you wear a mask. They're probably going to, you know, charge even more for snacks and soda to make up for the lost ticket sales. So I'm thinking like if I'm going to go see a movie in a theater, it better be the best damn movie I've ever seen in my life. Cause if I go through all that and then see a shitty or even an okay movie, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah, all I know is this: uh, Christopher Nolan is like, well, is refusing to like not let Tenet be, like he really wants Tenet out in theaters. He really wants it. So, oh, I saw that quote he said where he's like, yeah, like if you're not seeing it in a theater, you're not getting the true experience or whatever. It's like, come off it, dude. It's like, come on. It's like I I paid money to see watch the King of Staten Island on <laughs> on and stuff and like. I, and again, I really enjoyed it a lot because I like Judd Apatow and I think like, uh, you know, I know people have mixed feelings about Pete Davidson, but it's like, it's, it's his personal story. He does it pretty well. But, uh, but I'm like, it's like, I have no problem, dude, I have no problem paying that to see like your movie on de- Amazon or on demand. It's like, relax. It's like yeah. my, I mean, <laughs> I really don't, there's really not a lot of movies that you really need to see on IMAX or the big screen and stuff. Like I think yeah. the last movie, the last two movies I think I've ever seen on IMAX were uh, Skyfall, which I really did enjoy, but I was like, I don't need to see this on IMAX, but it's, I think like AC of Daniel Craig falling out of a plane looks cool. But besides that, it's like, I see this theater. And the other one almost made me hate going to IMAXs. It was, uh, my friend wanted to see the, Remember the Shine a Light uh, Rolling Stones like concert movie that Martin Scorsese did back like 10 years ago? Oh, okay. Uh, I don't, but I believe it. Nobody should ever have to see Keith Richards or Mick Jagger, those guys' faces blown up. I was afraid if I looked away from the screen, they would be dead. (laughs) Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm sure you you get a... uh... I'm sure all their like wrinkles and, and scars were rendered in uh, exquisite detail. Yeah. Good concert. I mean, looked like a fun concert. They randomly brought buddy guy out and stuff. Okay. There is a weird scene where Mick Jagger and Christina Aguilera do a solo and uh, Mick Jagger's kind of grinding up on Christina Aguilera. And it's <laughs> like, Ooh. it's like, I don't know. If, like even our regular theater, that just was look, just would look so weird. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a real May December romance. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. uh, well, speaking of musicians, uh, we got uh, Angia Hernandez playing her ripping solo uh, at the talent show, uh, which just leaves Marty, who still is gonna give it his all. He goes out there with his guitar, he starts playing, and then he almost immediately breaks a string. Uh, which, you know, I don't play guitar, so I've not been in that situation, but you know, that has happened in, uh, like to the guitarists of the bands I'm playing in, they'll break a string on stage, which, uh, you know, if you have the forethought to bring a spare guitar with you, it's not a big deal, but, um, (laughs) you know, uh, for poor Marty, he kind of just hits the eject button and then he brings back his, uh, his, uh, stomach rolling talent. 
other thing I know how to do. You know, which this time it goes over uh, a lot better. The uh, the band uh, starts um, like playing along with it, and uh, yeah, the crowd really gets into it. Something like that. You just it just proves it's like you just gotta sync it up with music, and boom, it like it pays off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he, you know, he does a lot of he like he really takes the concept of rolling your stomach as, as far as it can go. He, he, you know, he gets a a pipe from a guy in the audience and he makes it look like a little pirate is like smoking or not a pirate, but like an old like <laughs> sailor guy. Um, and then perhaps most impressively, he recreates the, um, the soldiers raising the flag on Iwo Jima and he makes them actually like raise the flag. It's kind of, uh, amazing. I mean, it's like, uh, I, I'm trying to think, did this episode come out before the, uh, Homer Palooza episode on Sim? On the Simpsons. Oh, um, that's a good question. I, I think it probably did. I mean, they, they, I mean, both shows shared like a writing staff at some point and then had like their own people and stuff too. So it's like, it just kind of makes sense, but I could sort of see like, I could see like how if the show had run longer, that probably would have been a, another, another like plot line, like another plot for an episode, but, uh, it works really well. I, uh, well, I mean, that's still one of my favorite, uh, top favorite uh, Simpsons episodes for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I've actually been uh, revisiting the Simpsons lately. So like, yeah, I watched, of course, this the Critic crossover episode. Um, I watched twenty two short films about Springfield, which is, oh god, so good. I, um, you know, it's funny. I, I remember there was a fan at the Writers Guild where uh, Judd Apatow was like. I was anytime Judd Apatow was either being uh, hosted or like or was hosting an event, he had a thing where he was hosting like all the TV nominated writers, and Ian Maxstone Graham was nominated for like uh, the Gone Baby Gone type Maggie episode, and uh, and the best part is like the program they have their faces and like a little bio about them. For Ian Maxstone Graham, it's the picture of the super tall guy in the oh. in the wagon. Uh, <laughs> 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 I immediately went up to him. After a really nice guy, and I went up to him and started laughing. I said, "By the way, this is awesome." He said, "You know that's me, right?" It was like, "What?" It's like, "Oh my oh, god, you're pretty tall." Yeah, actually, I remember uh, Greg uh, Daniels and the team pulled me in, and I thought I was getting fired because they made it sound so serious. And they're like, "We need to animate you for an episode and make fun of your height." <laughs> oh like, man. Oh, okay. Oh my god. Uh, so, oh yeah. So I, I don't think I've shared this on the podcast before, but so I went to, uh, Loyola Marymount university here in uh, Los Angeles, uh, which, uh, I found out is where a couple of, uh, Simpsons producers went. Like, I think, it, I think it's where David S. Cohen went. Um, and maybe Sam Simon. Um, I don't know. I forget, but in any case, uh, there's, there's a few things from LMU that made it into the show. Like, there's a neighborhood bar uh, that's the basis for Moe's Tavern. And um, one of the teachers uh, was it clearly inspired the look of Mr. Burns because if you see a picture of him, yeah, he's got the the bald head and the, the pointy nose. It's like it looks exactly like Mr. Burns. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's 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 my connection. 
Oh, yeah. I've heard of the story about the bar for sure. A lot of good, like, yeah, there's, sorry, I don't, we don't want to go over. It's like, if we start talking about the Simpsons, this is going to go on for hours. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, oh, but I, I did want to make sure before we, we finish this episode, you, you were saying before we started recording, you had, you knew someone who kind of reminded you of the critic. Yeah, so I don't want to say his name. He's a really nice guy, and I think he's got a great sense of humor, but I don't want to say it. But he, uh, so I moved out here in the summer of 2007. Uh, my first job, uh, and I was out here on Temple University's uh, film uh, program. Uh, and basically, I got an internship through a Temple alum who owned a uh, reality TV company that did stuff like uh, shooting Sizemore and breaking Bonaduce and just like. Uh, you know, BH1 and its heyday, you know, if you will. And they were doing a show that was at the time being produced by Drew Barrymore and her boyfriend, who was the drummer of the Strokes, uh, Fat Morietti. And uh, I got to meet him a few times. He was really cool. But um, it was called Clash of the Music Videos. They would have people like uh, recreate a music video from the 1980s, like, and they would like, and they would be judged by the actual musicians about what, how they did it and stuff. But the host of the show was like, he was definitely like a personality guy, but he was super, but he was the real life looking version and sounded exactly like Jay Sherman. And I remember like my boss was like, Hey Sam, we're doing, we're shooting a promo thing. We need somebody to interview. Can you go out and do it? I was like, sure. I didn't know who the interviewer was. I just step out there and I just see real life Jay Sherman right there <laughs> interviewing me. And I am like blown away. And he's asked me all these questions about like who did this or that song? I'm nailing all these questions too, actually. So, but uh, it was just, uh, yeah, I was just blown away to see the real life Jay Sherman. Nice. <laughs> uh, that's cool. Let's see. All right. So, yeah, so we're just about to the end of this episode. So after Marty is the hit of the talent show, we flash forward uh, 20 years later, which according to the timeline of this show would make it 2014, I believe. So that's yeah. the past now. Um, but uh, uh, Marty has made it all the way to Carnegie Hall, uh, which is sold out according to the sign. And um, so, yeah, Marty is now um, an adult and a very successful, um, I guess, performer i guess you would say um <laughs> still doing his uh, stomach rolling thing before i begin my concert i would like to honor my father from him i learned not to give up that you'll find you're the best at something and today i'm the world's greatest stomach virtuoso and he is the world's fattest man that's my boy <laughs> they just show jay who's like yeah now he's huge and um yeah, and that and that ends the episode. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I love the the nice little note that we go out on. Marty has uh, found found his talent, and uh, looks like all is right with the world. What's funny is now, like, if you know, I mean, it's obviously hard for them to predict like what would have happened twenty years ago. But I feel like Marty Sherman would be a contestant on America's Got Talent and would make it into the final <laughs> bit. Of it's like. It'd be, it's like, he would like convince like four, like three out of the four judges and such, like, and there'd just be that one judge who just would never like let him go forward. I don't know who that would be. I feel like if Hallie Mandel's still on the show, I feel like Hallie would like, would like let him keep going on. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if he is. I, I don't watch that show to be honest, but, um, yeah, but I actually know a few people that have 
been on that show because they'll be, uh, uh, you know, they'll um, find like a comedian in Los Angeles or find a, a performer who just does something so wacky and outrageous that like, you know, they know they'll never make it to the second round, but uh, they just need something entertaining for five minutes to put on TV. So uh, they get a spot on America's Got Talent. And I know a few people that have been in that position at this point. Yeah, did Fembot? Get, I think Fembot got America's Yeah, Fembot PhD, a local sketch team here in Los Angeles. Shout outs to them; they're all amazing. Uh, they did some sort of like chicken dance number kind of thing, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, they're just one of those acts that yeah just gets el- eliminated right away. But you know, good for them for taking it that far. And I feel like uh, if this was like Jay now, he'd just have like my 300 pound life on like one of those. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> others, yeah. Which is like, wow. Okay. Um, or like, uh, yeah, my 300 pound life or isn't there, um, I don't know. There, yeah. I'm trying to think of one of those other shows about like, I don't know, extreme eaters or something. He'd probably be on, on there. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so that kind of, brings us to the end of the episode i you know i i think this this episode is kind of all over the place to be honest i i kind of like it but it's not it doesn't quite crack like the into my favorite critic episodes for me yeah there's not really a strong a story or b story with this one like i feel like uh yeah i mean i feel like and i think like there's some episodes obviously they have a very strong like a story and the b story is very minimal but I think they really try to like split this up and I feel like they can't, I feel like they can't figure out what's the most dominant one. And again, I'm kind of curious to know like why Keeler wrote, like named this episode after two Marx brother episodes. Was it just, was this just like Marx brothers movies? I'm just wondering, was this just like a filler episode and just like, <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's like some Marx brothers references in that episode that I've missed, but, uh, you know, looking at it again, I think, you know, this is kind of a stretch, but like a day at the races and a night at the opera, that kind of corresponds to the field day at the UN school and then the talent show being the day and the night thing. That makes sense. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. That's like, I I remember like, you know, going back and preparing for this podcast, I read the title of this episode and I'm like, wait, what was this one about? Like, I, cause that gives me no clue. I had to actually watch it and then, uh, yeah, just kind of pay attention to what was going on. Yeah. They, and again, I agree with you. They, under, they really underutilized some of the best like recurring characters. I mean, I will always want, uh, more, more of Jay's dad at anything, you know? Just, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah, you know, um, I'll still take, even a mediocre critic episode over most other shows. So Absolutely. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, uh, Sam, uh, what would you like to plug or what would you like to let people know about? Uh, you can check out, uh, let's see. I mean, I'm always writing, but you can check out my photography work on my Instagram at, uh, Sam zero, uh, S A M S E R O. And, uh, uh, <laughs> if, yeah, I mean, well, I do I do write a lot about, like, uh, upcoming, like, U.S. Senate races and congressional races and such on the Daily Coast. So if you want to check that out, it's dailycoast.com, user slash, like, no joke, poop dog comedy, like, Snoop Dogg. <laughs> it's, oh, my uh, God. It was, I, I feel like I should uh, uh, get into a long discussion about all the, like, 
uh, police protests that have been going on and how people are pressuring their local politicians to defund the police. But Absolutely. Uh, I, I think we've been uh, uh, podcasting for, for long enough for, for one day. <laughs> I hope we didn't go over. I apologize. Uh, but uh, cool. So, yeah, uh, everyone check out Sam on the Daily Coast. And uh, again, if you want to uh, get in touch with this show, itstinkspod at gmail.com or itstinkspod on Twitter or Instagram. I would love to hear any questions, comments, concerns uh, that anyone has or concerns. I don't know why anyone would be concerned, but if you have one, yeah, let me know about it. Um, cool. So that'll do it for us. Thanks for joining me for this episode of it stinks. The critic podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of it stinks. The critic podcast. I'm your host, Brian Rubinow. Our theme song is by Brandon Beck. You can email the podcast at it stinks pod at gmail.com and find us on Twitter and Instagram at It Stinks Pod. 